So we want to welcome you to a special episode of the Technical Report Podcast. This is actually the first episode that we're recording here in fall 2016 after a little bit of a hiatus. Um, I've got a backlog of episodes that I'm putting together and uh, we'll be sharing here over the next couple of weeks. But we are doing a live recording today and we're really excited. Uh, Michael Blodgett, co-host from last year, has graduated. Uh, congratulations, Mike. And we've uh, got Dr. Bill Williamson who has stepped into that co-host role with me. Uh, so we're really excited to have Bill here with us. Hi, Bill. Hey. And our episode today, uh, in just in time for Veterans Day, uh, we're talking with a couple of PTW, current PTW students, CJ Cook and Tony Lang, who are veterans of our United States military. And uh, I want to welcome both CJ and Tony. So welcome, guys. Thank you. Thanks. And we'll just get started today. We'll kind of jump right into our conversation. We want to talk a little bit about connections between your military experiences and things that you're doing uh, and have experienced thus far in the PTW program. So why don't you just share a little bit, uh, each of you share a little bit of your background. Uh, tell us what branch of the military you were in, the kind of things that you were doing, uh, and anything else that you think you'd like to share. I started in the Air Force two days after I graduated high school as a Hebrew linguist. I transferred over to intelligence analysis and into interrogations. Um, I had a top secret security clearance and I traveled all over the world. I used uh, documents to learn about foreign weapon systems and uh, all about the different cultures of the world. I had to put that together. I had uh, anywhere from two to three hours to take 300 pages into five and write manuals for higher ups and for training seminars. When I was in the army, I was an interrogator and intelligence analyst specializing in counterintelligence. And I wrote the Anti-Terrorism Force Protection Plan for the state of Idaho and some other documents within the state of Michigan. Cool stuff. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I should have went first because mine's not nearly <laughs> as impressive. I was in the United States Air Force, uh, enlisted uh, for roughly four years. Um, I was a crew chief on the C-130 airframe and... In it, we dealt a lot with technical orders on how to repair um, parts of the C-130 airplane. So He had the airplane you could make a cup of coffee on, take a nap while it still flew around. <laughs> and also, it looked like a trash can with propellers. <laughs> so, And it repaired like one, too. Well, I think what's really... Um great here is that both of you bring these diverse experiences from the military uh and and each of you had some kind of role in developing or working with technical documentation and so i wondered if you could talk a little bit about that you know to the best that you can uh and and how you see that playing into your experiences here in the pdw program well for me um i saw how technical orders were written and how we would read them, which was pretty much not. Um, I mean, we had to have our laptops open with the right order up, but usually we would memorize the task and not even refer to the orders because they were so convoluted, complex, uh, not written with a user in mind. It was just like kind of slapdash written. Please don't hunt me down and find me Air Force <laughs> now that I'm saying That's this out Tony loud. Lang. <laughs> um, James Anthony Lang. And so I see at least uh, w how I do not want to write documents um, going forward in this career path. I want them to 
uh, be thought of with the user in mind and um, make it so that they are actually usable um, and not just something we have up when QA comes around to you know slap us on the wrists if we have the wrong document up. It's interesting that you talk about the, the quality of the documents that you had to interact with as being kind of low with that because my own experience of working with military documents and I've done a lot of contract work that's included military um, both active military personnel and then companies that were working with the military is that it's inconsistent some of the worst stuff that I've ever seen comes out of the military some of the best stuff that I've ever seen actually to their credit comes out of the military and you know as, a, as someone who teaches among other things uh, presentations or speaking we think of the military model for doing a presentation as really mechanistic and really predictable I'm going to tell you what, you, what I'm going to tell you, that I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to tell you what I told you. I mean, you know, that it's such a pattern, mm-hmm. and it's so predictable. And so, I mean, it, it, it really shows, though, that the, the military, just like any organization, has its successes and it has its struggles with stuff like that. Well, and Tony, for me, it's not surprising then that you've really sort of latched on to usability studies as one of your areas of focus. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I thinking back to in my experience as an automobile technician, uh, you know, working on automobiles as opposed to the C-130, but the manuals are often very similar in the ways that they're constructed and presented. And, you know, in part, that's sort of what has led me to an interest in thinking about usability studies and a focus on how users uh, interact with and employ the materials in those manuals and you know there's how the manual is written and then how things actually get done by the technicians who do that work right. and and often there's a there's quite the disconnect between those two processes and so yeah i mean i think that it just lends itself really well your experiences to some of the focuses that you've had in the program thus far yeah definitely for me, document control was one of the major issues because your classified information had to have markings top and bottom. Right. It had to have the dates on it, who you could and could not share it with. So your audience was already dictated to you by a higher power before you ever even shared it to your audience. So you already knew your end user before you even got done. That's definitely something that most writers are not accustomed to dealing with. And and to be honest, when you talk about how we teach in a classroom setting, we we would completely have to simulate that notion of restricted versus non-restricted audiences. I mean, uh, Dr. K and I, as faculty, there's information that we can and cannot reveal about a student. For example, um, FERPA rules apply to all of that. Um, and so we are supposed to deal with that stuff on a daily basis. I'm not actually sure how conscious faculty really are of it. Yeah, we had uh, joint operations that involved Australians, Italians, French, German, New Zealand, Chileans, and we would have information that would tell us three out of five we couldn't share the information with. So how did we work around that issue? You Especially if they're all sitting in the same room. Exactly. That's what happened is you had to figure out how to talk to them without saying anything. <laughs> Sign language. And... Uh, not only that, but when you're assimilating information from various um, production areas, such as the Federal Bureau of Investigations, um, the NSA, the National Security Agency, you're dealing with not just those agencies, but other agencies within them. And sometimes it's contradictory. How do you analyze everything to make sure that what you have is right without 
being able to go through your supervisor, you have to already have a training of some sort to be able to analyze it yourself and make judgment calls. I imagine that one of the consequences of working in that kind of environment is that you are forced to be more independent than, uh, than you might otherwise be. At least the, the number of people that you could show any document a draft of would be restricted or limited depending on the nature of that specific thing. But then at the same time, it seems like if I were in that same position, I would crave the ability to share it with someone to make sure that I wasn't screwing up on a national or international scale. Absolutely. I had uh, one problem where my supervisor and I shared a top secret clearance, but the commander of the unit only had a secret clearance. I couldn't share any information with him. And so we was had... Was that common? That is actually rather common. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I was going to say, yeah, definitely. So... Yeah, because the intelligence people often have a higher clearance than the air crews that you work with. and so Yeah, you, that makes sense. So you have to figure out... You know, what is pertinent, what is not pertinent, and sometimes how to work around that issue. And I'm sure it's just like in the movies. (laughs) (laughs) If the Air Force is listening, yes. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) Just like the commercials, too. (laughs) And even uh, taking care of the... Uh, medium that your information is on is different. Uh, so if you have it on a CD-ROM, if you have it on a flash drive, is different than just having a document because you have to have specific control over your mediums as well. Yeah, interesting talk about medium because you've already, the two of you have made reference to completely different media for expression. You know, talking about CD-ROM versus, um, you know, having something up on a laptop. And actually, my first experience working with the military was with those gigantic old manuals that are that are stap- or saddle-stitched on the side of those gigantic staples. Yeah, if the laptops didn't work, we had the fun of getting those out instead. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you can't be guaranteed that whatever country or area you're going to even has electricity. Or if it doesn't have electricity, that your engineering people got there first to put electricity right, in right. so you could use your laptops. Yeah. So how how long ago were each of you in the military for active duty? Uh, April 2012 um, is when I got out. So it's okay. it's been almost five. We're coming up on five years. So and you were in around the turn of the decade then a little before you went in before and then you mm-hmm. came a little after. How about you, CJ? I went in uh, the Air Force in June of 1988 and I got out of the Air Force in July of 1994. I went to nursing school and then went back in the Army in 1999 and got out in 2005. Oh, so you've had quite a bit of career experience with the military. I don't know that I realized that it was that long. That's cool. So what led you then from those experiences in the military uh, to seek out this program here in professional and technical writing? Well, I hate to be like, I think what's kind of the status quo for student. Well, maybe it's not, but at least from students that I've interacted with um, and shared how we came to professional technical writing, um, it was more by kind of accident. Um, when I came back to SVSU to get a second bachelor's degree, um, I was going for computer science and I did not have. Um, the greatest of experiences my first semester back there found out that that was not what I was looking for. And then I remember 
Um, winter semester, uh, I, I took uh, a course that would lead to graphic design and a course that would lead to um, uh, professional and technical writing. And it was day one with Dr. Bill in the 260 class. And I was like, yep, this is it. You know, this is exactly what I'm looking for. I didn't even know that this was what I was looking for, but it mixed enough technology in and writing in and just things that I felt confident um, doing. Uh, and this is all like day one of the class, like where you were introing it and where you were, um, you know, the story of like how when you graduate with this degree, you could finally explain to everyone else what it is, <laughs> you know. Um, yep. I mean, that's an old joke. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it still works. <laughs> yeah. And uh, just that's kind of how I, f I fell into it. And that's what I think is the norm here. But I, I could be wrong. But at least from what, again, students that I've talked to, it's, it's kind of been by accident. And, um, but it's a really happy accident. Really, really enjoy the program. So, and what it's going to lead to. So, right or wrong, my perception of the two of you is that. Consistent with what you just said, Tony, that what you've experienced so far appeals to your geekery. Yeah, that 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 part of you that likes learning stuff and likes complex stuff and likes playing with stuff and having both this, this sort of a balance of or an interaction between freedom and expectation. I mean that those things kind of all come together for you. And it's funny to see, Jill. It'll be interesting to see how you respond to this because my sense of you so far is that this program really appeals to your sense of order. And I don't know if that is going to come out of your mouth as well, but you know, the things that I perceive as I watch you work your way through projects, you know, that, that seems right there, you know, that you get to put ducks in rows. Yep. Order and in a convoluted way is how it comes about for me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't take the normal path. I uh, worked doing intelligence and I did a lot of public speaking and briefing and I wound up there because the two things I excelled at in high school were public speaking and foreign languages. And I was looking for a way to put them together. And so what do they do? They train me in Hebrew and send me to Panama. <laughs> Logical, of course. So then I come back to North Carolina and they send me over to the Middle East and uh, then to Korea. And so I really put those Hebrew skills to work. <laughs> <laughs> I could order the best things in a deli <laughs> and doing all that, that writing and trying to figure out where things came from and how to do it in such a fast paced way um, was how I, I thrived on order in a fast paced environment and everything had to be with the classified had to be precise, absolutely precision working. I and can see that. Then when I got out and went to nursing school, once again, having to use all those medication documents and the training manuals and those little mile-long flyers that they put in medications drove me body because I could not figure out how they worked, why they wrote them, why they wrote them in something that you need a microscope to even see. Right. And I went back in the military because I could not handle dealing with the civilian writing. So I went back in the military. Um, I was actually in training for law enforcement. And I was sitting in a classroom, and after 9-11, and the towers came down, and they called me back to active duty. And once again, I started writing, and I was in charge of the airports and the bridges security, and I was working with the state police. I was working with foreign and uh, local law enforcement agencies, trying to figure out where all their documents were, what their classification levels were, how they wrote them. And after I was done with that, I worked counter-drug in Detroit, and I was with 
the whole federal alphabet down there from postal inspectors to the FBI to Wayne County Police Department to DPD. And once again, I was sorting through all these documents that had so many variables in them. And then I was sent out to Idaho to write their anti-terrorism plan. And finally, in one spot that actually made sense to me. And uh, what's interesting hearing you talk is I don't know that I have ever had a student in any class who prior to coming into class has literally had life or death life or death consequences for some of the things that they've been responsible for. I mean, now that said, yeah, I've worked with engineers, including civil engineers, and I've worked with nursing students and pre-med and so on. But that's kind of a theme throughout everything that you were doing is that there were some pretty dire consequences to getting it wrong. And that's a lot of responsibility to have. If I missed reading or somebody's interpretation of exactly what weapon system was somewhere, or I missed an innuendo in something, right. then I would have to explain to a family why somebody didn't come home that night. Mm-hmm. And that was not something I was willing to do. Mm-hmm. That is weighty. I mean, that's, that's significant. And so it's one of those things that's interesting to hear you talking about it, because from time to time in my classes, I try to talk through examples of why it matters sometimes, why, why it matters more than just, you know, someone might get confused or get a step wrong or something like that, but you've lived it. And that's a, that's a pretty awesome thing in a, yeah. in its own right. It is. And, uh, it's a responsibility that coming from the military, you take seriously because it's your brothers, your sisters and their families and the whole country that depends on you for what you do. If you make one mistake, it's more than just you that wrote something wrong, read something wrong or interpreted something wrong. So I think for both of you, um, you know, it, it's interesting for me to think about how your experiences in the military have translated to your interest in this in this program. But kind of along the lines of this conversation, I'm interested to hear your perspectives on how you how you bring that into the actual classroom and the work that we're doing, and how you think about. Um, you know, those experiences playing into the projects that you're working on. And in other ways, I guess in other words, you know, you bring a sense of perspective that I think a lot of students don't necessarily bring because they just don't have that experience. Um, so how do those, how does, how do your prior experiences play into the work that you do just on a project level? I know for me that, um, just experiences such as basic training where everything had to be in order and teamwork brings it to us because we have to collaborate with each other under the guise of teamwork where in this program you're collaborating with brain matter experiences um, different ideas concepts disabilities and abilities you're trying to work together where for us as military it was just everybody had the same issue at the same time and we were cut from the same cloth yeah i would say um like discipline when it comes to like getting things done too. Um, like in the military, it wasn't like, well, get this done by this time. If you sort of kind of can, you know, it was get it done. You had to get it done. And so like, um, you know, if there's a, if there's a date, yeah, sometimes I want to try to get it pushed back in class or anything like that, but there's also, sometimes. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but there's also the, it has to be done. So it has to be done. Um, so bringing that to the projects, meaning like, you know, um, trying to, to space out, um, 
time to do it and scheduling to work on the project, get things done, hit milestones, um, achieving goals. Uh, um, that that's helped me out from my military experiences, just the organization and, and the like get done by date. Um, ethics and legalities definitely fall in there because you have to answer to a supervisor, a, 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 something in the document that tells you if you can't do this, you can't do that. And for his job, you know, there's lives at risk for his job too if he didn't put a plane back mm-hmm. oh, together yeah. the Absolutely. same way. Yeah, or mm-hmm. even a tool in a plane or any tool accountability. There's, um, yeah, yeah. People can get injured doing the maintenance work. People can get injured after the maintenance work. Planes can go down because you didn't do it right. Um, there's a lot of stress there. Even the writing, because I know I worked with another service that their reading level in that branch of service was so low they had to change their training manuals to cartoon books comic books because that's where the training reading level was for them that wasn't air force though no that was not air force (laughs) we're the high end somehow well you know what's interesting is that at the beginning of my career we talked about anybody who wasn't 18 years old as a non-traditional student and one of the wonderful things about being at svsu is that you kind of have to throw the word non-traditional out the window. I mean, the two of you fit that traditional, non-traditional profile, if you want to put it that way. But as I'm listening to the two of you talk, what it reminds me of is why I have always valued having students like yourselves in class, because you come in where, you know, your lives, you've had stuff at stake. And, And not to say that people who don't have work experience or, you know, you've never had to protect somebody, you know, life or death consequences. It doesn't mean that you've never had anything at stake. I certainly don't mean it that way. But you come in with a certain sense of of gravity. You come in with a certain sense of accomplishment. You've already been there. You've already done things. Um, and you're ready for challenges. And, and that's, a, that's a really important element, you know. And, and that kind of thing also historically in the programs that i've been connected with we've attracted a lot of students into the programs that were actually post-military you know the veterans have have, have come in in strength in um in numbers rather and and it makes sense in a lot of ways you know the, the the different personalities and the different things that people bring to the table it connects up in a lot of ways with the kinds of things that we do you know we perform pretty complex services pretty radically different services from one context to another but you know if if you're not comfortable with constant change or with numbing predictability in the same five minutes of your life you're probably not ready to be a tech writer and you know the military gives you both of those in droves and we have the opportunity to have worked with people from other cultures and other areas absolutely yeah And coming into a classroom, we're kind of in a unique spot. We can be leaders in the classroom of those traditional students and even some non-traditional students that just aren't quite sure yet. Yeah, absolutely. So I think this is a good segue into the kind of other third talking point here that I've had that I share with you guys, uh, thinking about the post-military careers. And so I guess first maybe we could start uh, you know, personally and think about how you see this preparing you guys, how you see this program preparing you guys for the things that you want to do after graduation. Uh, but then also maybe more generally, like, uh, you know, thinking about 
um, students who might be interested or you know you know post military coming back to school and and finding some sort of preparation for a career. I know both of you have uh, experience working in the mil- military student affairs or did I say that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, student affairs office. Um, and so you know just kind of talking about those experiences and thinking about you know post military. Uh, coming back to college and and using that to prepare you for a career? Yeah, for me, um, my passion is other veterans in agriculture. And as one of the founding members of the Michigan Farmer Veteran Coalition, being able to write grants, write proposals um, to help them get started, help change legislature in it. And uh, I want to take that to the next level and either work as corporate training um, the USDA, DEQ, something like that. But the end goal is I want to work for the United Nations, the FAO. Mm-hmm. I want to do multicultural, multidisciplinary, worldwide. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's really been, uh, I focused in on uh, usability studies uh, ever since I was introduced to it. And I get to perform that uh, here and there currently at my uh, current job, which is co-oping at Dow, uh, the Dow Chemical Company, um, and I just want to be able to take that and move forward with it. I really like usability testing and trying to find um, how to make something better, um, and there's always room for that, so um, that's where I see myself moving forward uh, post-degree. Uh, so you know it's interesting because both of you describe activities and and both of you describe responsibilities that you'd be taking on professionally that i mean cg you said earlier something about taking leadership role in the classroom but um when it comes down to it i mean what you described is is being a an advocate in a very public way and in helping navigate complex stuff you know changing policy is a pretty pretty complex kind of thing to be able to do and, and really, Tony, when it comes down to it, usability studies, as established as it is, and as long as we've been talking about it and as long as we've been doing it, I mean, you're living right now in a situation where you still have to advocate for it every single yep. day. And the whole unit that you work with in there is is literally trying to change corporate culture in a multinational conglomerate about how we deal with information and, and specifically through that lens of usability. That's high-powered. Yeah, and it it goes well sometimes, and it doesn't go well other times. <laughs> as far as like how many how how often we get to use it, it really depends on what the content owner is trying to advocate for. <laughs> so I mean, um, but yeah, it's 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 still uh, for as as like you said, as established as it is, it's it's still not. So. Yeah, it's it's not in everybody's everyday vocabulary. Yeah. Well, and in both of your situations, it's about working with a variety of different stakeholders and user groups and finding ways to communicate uh, between and amongst all of those different people. Um, And I think both the military experience prepares you really well for that kind of work. Uh, And then I think, you know, thinking through theoretical perspectives and and applying some of that through professional technical writing work uh, prepares you in those ways, too. It's finding that balance because sometimes your stakeholders are also your end users. Mm-hmm. It yeah, just absolutely. circles right yep. back to yep. them. Yep. Yep. Um, so what else? How do we want to kind of end our conversation today? What do you want to tell us that we should do, either keep doing or do differently, that serves people like you? I think just finding that balance about what it was in the military that 
we enjoyed um, and what we wanted to do and where we didn't actually get to go with it because I didn't actually get to write, in my eyes, the things I wanted to write and say the things I wanted to say because I was too low on the totem pole rank-wise. And that's... Do we give you those opportunities or... Absolutely. Okay. That's that's, that's the best thing. thing here is <laughs> you, because you give the power to know that when you walk into a career field from now on, you're not going to be the junior rookie on the totem pole. You're going to walk in with our military experience at least lower mid-level. And that's amazing because now you feel useful, you feel wanted, you feel needed, and you feel like you have a purpose. I'm even just trying to think of a project that I've done in uh, the program where I haven't had full control over the content about what I want to write about to an extent. Um, and that freedom to be able to do that is awesome because, you know, I've, it's my second degree. I've been in so many classes where it's you're writing a paper on X and that's it. And there's not very many projects that we can't bring our own perspective or, or, or even what we want to cover into it. Um, the, the uh, professors are absolutely open to learning from the students as well. And that's one of the wonderful things about this program. They I can think learn that from goes us. with the profession as well. Everybody that I know that's a technical communication professor scattered across the planet, all of us talk about at one point or another in those casual conversations, the things that we've taken from our students over the years, meaning learned, not stolen. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree completely. And, and, and Dr. Bill and I have been talking a lot over the last year or so about you know, putting our students in positions where they can think about the kinds of problems that they want to solve. And Absolutely. I think, you know, from, from what you guys have just said, it seems like that's starting to, to, to take effect or it has been taking effect. Um, and I think that it speaks to, uh, in part, the kinds of rich, valuable experiences you guys bring into the program. Uh, and you're able to anchor then your projects in those experiences. And so for me, that's pretty neat. It's pretty neat. <laughs> Yeah, we can uh, anchor in a program, and we can we can start something in one class. Like I started Veterans and Agriculture in Dr. Scott's class in 260, and I said, this is the basis for my thesis for grad school, and I've been every class I do, I build something on that each class, and hopefully by the time I hit grad school, something will have come of it. And I mean, I think that's, you know, we, and we talked then, and I mean, that's a great plan. I mean, it's thinking about how to develop those projects over time. Um, you know, that's what I did. Seeds of my dissertation were, you know, planted and started as, as an undergrad as well. And you just kind of think about those same kinds of issues and, and the coursework and your growth as a, uh, you know, as a student helped to inform those projects in different ways. And we as veterans have a unique voice with um, government agencies, nonprofits, they have the willingness to listen to us in ways that they won't listen to um, the common populace. Yeah, there's an yeah. established ethos there, right? And we, we have a connection with each other there. Uh, like some would have their sorority or fraternity, we have our own fraternity. That we didn't have, well, we paid for it, but not, yeah. not, <laughs> not in the same way. <laughs> so. Tony, a couple moments ago, you were going to say something, and like a solar flare, the conversation went in a different direction. <laughs> Is it still relevant to come back? I I think I lost it, whatever it was <laughs> that happened a couple of times this podcast. So, well, I want to, I guess, first thank both of you for your service, uh, but then yeah, also want to yeah, appreciate it. Want to thank you both for 
uh, joining us today uh, to talk about your experiences as veterans uh, and how that sort of uh, translates into the program and the and, and sharing with us the projects that you're thinking about and, and, and some of those connections. And I want to thank Dr. Bill for uh, assuming the co-hosting duties, and you know, we look forward to bringing you uh, further episodes uh, this this semester, uh, this academic year. Um, we have our world usability Se- world usability day celebration uh, a week from today, which will actually probably be uh, after this episode comes out. Uh, but we hope to have some materials from that event to share with you on this podcast as well. Uh, And we look forward to, uh, again, continuing the technical rapport, the official podcast of the Department of Writer Professional Writing at Saginaw Valley State University. Uh, I'm Dr. Scott Kowalski. uh, And for Dr. Bill and CJ and Tony, uh, we thank you for joining us today.